Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusta coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. It's Saturday morning, it's overcast, it's cool, and what you're about to hear is a talk I gave this past Tuesday to the UCLA Buddhist Club, and the title of the talk was, Who Are You? I hope you find it interesting, hope you find it stimulating, I hope you find it useful. So my talk to the UCLA Buddhist Club titled, Who Are You? Which brings us to our first difference, and our biggest difference, one of our biggest differences, I think, being Buddhist. And this came up in the Monks in the West conference that I, I attended in October, and it also came up last Thursday, and I, I didn't identify it. It was sort of hidden and wasn't clear, and I, I had this sense of dis-ease after the class because something was amiss, and I couldn't figure I I sort of knew it, but it was at a subconscious level. So I got back to the center. You know, I had a cookie and a glass of milk, so I settled into answering the email, and it came to me. And, and and it started in this way, and I gave you a preview downstairs, but it started with, well, I'm taking care of my mother, one of the fellows in the class, and and I really love her, and and I consider it uh, a privilege to be to be around and, and helping her in this in this last transition in her life. And and that's when I said, well, you know, it's really not the same person because we had been talking about self, not self. We'd been talking about what are we really? Is there an essence or a quality? Is there a soul or a true self? You know, and the Hindus would have self with a big S, you know. That's what we really are, the true self. And the Buddhist would have to say, no, no, we're not that either. We're not this, we're not that, we're not this, we're not that. And anything we could name we wouldn't be that, which is an Indian philosophical technique and debate. But anything we can name, that wouldn't be who we really truly are because it's an ultimate rather than a relative. And our speech and our intellect is trapped in the relative. We, we don't leave the relative in that way. We have to transcend the relative. But then speech is useless as is intellect. So we have a direct experience. So we wrestle and struggle with that, and that's what I said. But but it's not the same person, you know. And and from moment to moment, it's different. And so he looked at me and said, "Well, he said, well, why would you help your mother if it's not the same person? What would be the reason for you, as a Buddhist, now being a bit dramatic too, because we weren't having a debate? But what would be the reason for you?" And the first reason that came to my mind was duty. Just like in the movie. It's my duty. Even if that's not my mother, in the way I think it is. You know, even if I'm thinking, well, that was the person that, that gave birth to me and nurtured me until I could sort of take care of myself. Even if I thought that, I would have to say it would still be my duty, according to Buddhism. That's the duty of the children to the parents. 
they had their duty, which they fulfilled, and we have our duty, which we need to fulfill. So that would give us a connection. That would give us a reason or an intention to help this person who we don't know. Even though we call this person mom, and we have many memories of mom, but now mom is like 85. And you know, when mom's 85, she doesn't look like she did when she was 25. And when she transitions into death, she's going to go through all sorts of stuff. She might even lose her mind. So the very qualities, the, the internal qualities, the sort of essential qualities of mom may end up leaving her before her body dies. And so we'd look at this person and not even recognize him. I don't know who this person is. You know, never seen him before. And yet it's the duty of the children to the parents. That would be one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it would be more of the bodhisattva way of looking at it. Love and kindness. To love this human being, no matter who it is. Have a have a transcendental kind of love, a transcendent, uh, an ultimate kind of love. You know, that uh, it's a human being. It's a human being, and I'm connected to this person. And, and the way I express my love to this person is to be kind. And this person is dying. I can be kind in their death process. Whoever this person is, it doesn't matter. Because in Buddhism, the ultimate reality is that we're all interconnected and interdependent. So it really is a part of us that's dying. Even if we call it mom or stranger or whatever we decide to call it. Okay, so that's the sort of, you know, logic I was using. And I was sort of going in that direction. He, he, he couldn't buy it. Has anybody bought it tonight? Anybody buy that? We've got two? We've got three buyers? Okay. Okay, okay, here we go. Okay. I sold it well. <laughs> now, what comes to me is this. Of course he couldn't see that. Of course, he, his whole mindset is so totally different than mine. And two reasons. First of all, he's a devout Catholic. That woman is God's creation. Out of the rib of Adam... Eventually, through the evolution of family, this woman ended up created by God. And not only that, he was Catholic. When he looked at this woman, what did he see? The face of Christ. He was helping Christ. Wow. And here I'm saying, well, you know, in Buddhism, we don't spend a whole lot of time on creation. We don't know why we're here. But because we're here, we're going to suffer. A lot of us aren't real happy that that's our lot in life, suffering. It's nice to know there's an answer to suffering. But is birth this, this wonderful, magical event? You know, from a Buddhist perspective? I've often thought of how many people are born and unwanted. How many people are born and killed right at birth? You know? left in a black plastic bag in a dumpster. That's God's creation. That's the face of Christ. You know, how deluded are we as human beings sometimes? Did anybody watch the news today? One of the best news stories 
in the last couple years is out there. You know what happened today? They arrested a female astronaut. Did you hear this story, Megan? They arrested her because she drove 900 miles to sort of do in her competition. They were both after the same male astronaut. I mean, this is this is so far out. She had a BB gun and she had a, a little knife and the whole thing, and she was going to go take this woman out or kidnap her or something like that, right? And she wore an astronaut diaper the entire car ride, so she wouldn't have to stop driving from Florida to Texas. From Texas to Florida, I think. Yeah, from Texas to Florida. Yeah, she was working, I guess, in Houston and the space thing or whatever. And she's married and has three kids. I mean, she's not single. The astronaut's single, but she's not. And now she's in a jail in Florida. And at one point, just a year or so ago, she was circling the Earth. Man, what happens to people? So, I don't know why I got into that. Oh, because it's a great story. <laughs> That's such a... Necessary levity. Necessary loving, yes. Yes. And uh, um, so a Buddhist wouldn't look at creation as being such a wonderful thing because everything that's created has to die. And, and that's the downside of creation. Death is right connected to creation. Okay. Now, this, this, the second thing is seeing the face of Christ. Now, that is so cool. If we were devotional Buddhists... And they, they do have them. Uh, I'm a practicing Buddhist, not a devotional Buddhist. Could I see the face of the Buddha in everyone? Could I see their Buddha nature? You know, I, I wonder. Because there are people that say they can see the Buddha nature. It said the Buddha saw Buddha nature in everyone. And, and when you bow to someone, you're not bowing to who they are. You're bowing to their Buddha nature. You know how I thought about Buddha nature? Let me, let me explain how I think about it, which may or may not be the correct way. Uh, but I've heard some people describe Buddha nature almost in a soul-like way, that they carry, have to carry this little thing around with us, our Buddha nature. Ah, and it's always there. Ah, and it sounds like a soul to me, the way they described it. And I immediately rejected that. And you know what I think it is? I think it's our potential for enlightenment. I think it's in our nature to be enlightened. It's our potential. And what this Buddhist practice does for us is turn that potential into realization. That's how I approach that. So when I look at people, I see their potential for perfection. Their potential for enlightenment. Well, sometimes I see it. Sometimes it's really buried, you know? And would you say to yourself that Hitler had the potential to be enlightened? People love to use that example. The man, the worst man that ever lived, you know, the, the, the epitome of evil. As a Buddhist, would you say he had Buddha nature? Or as a Christian, would you say he had a spark of God? That he too had was God's creation, you know? Could you say that? And I would say yes, you, you'd really have to say that. 
because it has to apply to everyone, no matter if it's Mother Teresa or Hitler. They all had, according to Buddhism, Buddha nature. And one of my favorite exchanges with the Catholic priest went like this. He came up to me and said, Ah, Kusla. He said, I know you're a Buddhist, but I see the spark of God in you. I said, Father, I see Buddha nature in you. And he smiled and I smiled. <laughs> so, I, I see the dilemma this person faces as he listens to me speak about his mother as not really being the mother he thinks she, he thinks she is. That this is a, a process in flux. And these labels, you know, are what we use to give stability to that ever-changing flux and flow. So if we can label it, we can sort of pull it out of this of this tapestry of the universe and just go, ah, okay, there it is. It's mom. How are you, mom? My mom's coming uh, next week, I think. She's going to go on vacation. She lives in northern Wisconsin. It was like 15 below yesterday. She says, I said, Mom, you're going to love it. She's going down to like Palm Springs with some friends of hers for a couple of days. I said, you're going to love it, Mom. And I'll drive down and we'll have, we'll have lunch. She says, wear something nice. I said, okay, I will, Mom. Even at my age, she's telling me to wear something nice. You know? and, and I'm looking forward to seeing her. And when I see her, I'll recognize her as being mom. I, you know, she'll be my mom, and I'm going to relate to her in that way. I'm not going to relate to her as a flux and flow or a process, you know, and a stranger. I mean, that would be inappropriate and create a lot of suffering and confusion, you know. She'd look at me as having Alzheimer's or something, you know. I said, no, mom, it's okay. I'm a Buddhist. I don't have <laughs> Alzheimer's, you know. Just kidding. So there is this relative aspect to it, and, and, but there's this ultimate aspect, this philosophical aspect to it. And I, and I just saw that it wasn't working. And, and I went through all the stuff I normally go through. I went through Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. I went through taking motorcycles apart. Where is the quality of the motorcycle? And what piece of part does it exist? Where is the essence? Where is the soul? And then, you know, uh, at some point we have to say, well... There seems to be something. There seems to be a self or an ego. Uh, and, and so we can't say there isn't one, ultimately. We can't say it, there's, it's not there. But we can say, as a Buddhist, I think, that we are not that. That's not who we really, truly are. That's not how we define ourselves, ultimately. And that's the sticking point for a lot of people who hear this concept for the very first time. And I referred to a book, Spectrum of Consciousness, Ken Wilber, and he goes into great detail about this. And that's the book that really opened the door for me and allowed me to sort of feel comfortable with this concept of not-self. He talked about the various levels of consciousness, almost like a ladder. And we have different levels of self and selflessness on this ladder, on this, in this consciousness. And, and yet, when it comes down to who we really are, well, the Freudian psychologist thinks we're this, and the Jungian psychologist thinks we're this, and the transpersonal psychologist thinks we're this, and the monk thinks we're this, and our boss thinks we're this. 
and the professor thinks we're this. So who are we really? What is our true identity? What was my original face before I was born? Yeah. And that's the sticking point for us. That's where our work starts. Okay, now I know who I'm not, but who am I really? And so we have sutras and meditation practice and we have precept practice and we have many, many things designed to bring us to the place of knowing who we really are. And to quote a famous Buddhist teacher, when he was asked, he said, don't know. And then he went on to the next thing. So maybe we really don't need to know, huh? Maybe ultimately we really don't need to know, or maybe we can't know. But is that going to change who we are? Is that going to ruin your day when you really don't know who you are? And yet you still get out of bed, and you take a shower, and you go to class. And does it matter who you are, if you're doing all that stuff? Who you really, really are? You know? I don't know. When I was younger, it mattered a lot to me. And I identified with how I looked much more than I do now. And that might happen to a lot of older people. They stop identifying uh, themselves by how they look, because they start to look really terrible. And, you know... Uh, but <laughs> but in your younger days, you look pretty good, so you, that's a nice thing to identify with, you know? And you've got the nice shirts and the pants and the hair and the glasses and everything is sort of cool and, and the right car and the right shoes, and, and it works. And that's pretty much who you are. And then, you, of course, you take all that stuff off and you're not quite sure who you are then, you know? I don't know who I am now. But you put it all back on, it's like you're costume. That's who you are. You know, and then once you become like a professional, then you're sort of identified by what you do. You know, ah, he's president. He's CEO. You know, he's middle management. Yeah, so that's sort of a way to identify yourself. If you want to identify yourself as a worker or as part of the general work community, Spirituality allows you to identify yourself in another way. But you never get down to really, really, really who you truly are, according to Buddhism. And then you just sort of sit there. And it's okay. And then you're with your mother who's dying. And it's okay. Because she's not who you think she is. You're not who you think you are. But it doesn't matter, does it? We have a person here that's suffering, that feels uncomfortable, and you love, and you have kindness. And those things work together. Well, that's it. That was my talk to the UCLA Buddhist Club on not-self or who are you. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info that's k-u-s-a-l-a dot info if you'd like to hear more Dharma Talks I've given podcasts you can find them at dharmatalks.info that's dharmatalks.info a lot of free Buddhist ebooks to download at 
buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info. And if you'd like to email me, my email address is kusala at urbandharma.org. Well, until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.